0: If you own a practice or are a relief vet, you've probably wrestled with the question of just how much money should you leave in your practice's checking account. Today's episode, we are going to break down our thoughts on exactly just how much cash you should leave in your practice and some ideas on what you can do with your cash if you find your practice checking account has too much of it. So the big question is this,
1: how do veterinarians like you who live demanding lives, who never seem to have enough time, able to achieve balance and take control of your finances with confidence, That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. We are Florida Veterinary Advisors, and this is the Smarter Vet Podcast. Hey, Smarter Vets. This is Tom Seco and CJ Burnett. We're financial advisors that work with veterinarians across the U.S., owners of Florida Veterinary Advisors, and the hosts of this podcast, Smarter Vet Podcast.
0: Our mission is to reduce financial stress from the veterinary community by providing them the next step in their plan. Make sure to check out all of our other great resources available on our website, such as complimentary financial race CEs, assessments, videos, articles. You can find them all by visiting our website, flvetadvisors.com.
1: All right. Let's talk about practice cash. Really, what's really interesting about all this, too, is the fun fact. You know, you like
0: starting, you like starting episodes with fun facts, don't you?
1: I I love it because is that that like, is that maybe we should start doing that? Maybe that should be a thing. It should be fun fact. I wish people could leave us a comment on this and say, yeah, we like the fun facts, but maybe, maybe we'll hear from someone, right? (laughs) Uh, Veterinary practices are today are actually one of the least risky businesses out there. And it's Mm. what's nuts about that is like, in contrast of like with all the other companies that are there, uh, they provide one of the most consistent types of Cash or profits and revenue for for someone who owns them, uh, depending on how you run them as well, they can be incredibly profitable. Uh, of course, you know there's there's a term. If any of you are listening right now, there's what they call the no low practice, where there's very little profits. Which if you're in a position like that, uh, it might be make sense to kind of take a look at that. Uh, but at the same time, the future expectations, like there's the possibility of having so many more pets and patients along the way. If you were to think of a really
0: low-risk business, it would be one that had consistent revenue, that wasn't necessarily seasonal. There's there's a little bit of seasonality to it, I'm sure, depending on what practice you're in and what area of the country you're in. It would be highly profitable, and then you'd have a really good uh, outlook into the future as far as the business goes. So I, th- I think if you take those three, that therefore gives
1: you a pretty very low risk in in the business. And mm-hmm. banks were looking at it like nonstop, saying, "Hey, you guys are." Very attractive, which is awesome. Uh, yeah, for the you, statistic
0: right? we heard, right, was like one in 200 practices uh, default on a loan or something like that, which apparently is incredibly low. A banker was
1: telling us the other day. Yeah, it, it seems like it's more of like just due to poor management than anything. It's not the clients. And we, as you might all know, that 2020 brought a huge influx of clients. So, uh, and as these, you know, as these profits are, your, your practice is making all of these profits, they can be used to do a few different things. We really want to provide what is the understanding of how I can use them? Because a lot of times we talk with practice owners and there really is not a major clarity to it. And there's, there's a few different ones where we would talk about the first is protecting. The other one is growing. The other one is to build your personal wealth. And then the last one would be to build value of the practice. So for when you want to sell it, that's, I think they call that
0: exiting, right? That's like, that's why we have a certified exit planning designation is
1: because, when business owners sell their business, they call it exiting their business. Mm-hmm. And it's very commonly confused too, because I will say with exiting, it isn't just something as well where, hey, you're going to leave your practice tomorrow. Exiting should be something you plan and prepare for right from the day that you start a business. Yeah, Tom, you, you and I were, so we're like in our mid 30s, early mm-hmm. 30s. And do we have an exit plan? I would say we do. We absolutely do. And it's one of those things that we're progressively building up to be able to transition over time to where we have a, a bigger team and organization.
0: All right. And it's, uh, it's funny. Cause I think when, when people think about exiting and they're in their thirties, they don't, they, they, it's almost like a, like, how do I do that? Like, cause it, it's such a big thing to think about. And Tom and I, we have an exit plan, but do we know exactly what's going to happen? Well no. know, but w- we know the three doors that we could walk through. Uh, we can either sell to an outsider, sell to an insider, or die owning the business, right? Those are the three doors to walk through. And we have a plan on what we're going to do in every situation, right? So, because uh, uh, a good plan has a plan when nothing goes according to plan.
1: Absolutely. And, and since we started working with practice owners over seven years ago, I can't, I can't even believe it's been that long already. Right? Where, the, where yeah. do the days go? Uh, we, mm-hmm. we often see that these, there's so many practices that are flushing cash, like hundreds of thousands sitting in the bank. And and Why?
0: I thought, I thought it was something that just like a few years ago, we just saw, and it was just uh, the time, maybe the, at the time that it was happening. And then I remember practices going for pretty large multiples. And a lot of people were saying, well, this is not going to last, right? This is not going to last. This is not going to last. That was a, I remember hearing that, like the first two or three years we were, we were working with veterinarians. And then like, now it's like, I'm wondering, like, they're still saying it. Seven years later, it's the same ex- well, it's not gonna last, you know. It, it, it's kind of funny to me because it just shows you can't predict the future.
1: You can't. And and actually, I was talking to someone the other day about the buying groups that are out there purchasing practices. There's about 25% of the industry that's owned now by corporate buyers or by venture capitalists. And ideally, the shift is over time is gonna be about 75%, 60 to 75 percent is what they're looking at from an overall industry standpoint. So there's a lot of opportunity that's out there. So if you're one of those people like I need to sell right now, maybe you don't need to, uh, but it's something we can always talk about another time. Well, I, th- I think it's important to recognize that the timing of your exit should,
0: should probably be more of a personal decision, not, a, not necessarily a financial one, right? It should be because you got to understand what you're going to do on the other side of that transaction. Mm-hmm. And so if you're completely lost in that world, like you're not even sure what that would look like, then maybe, maybe now's not the time to, to sell. Because we talk with a lot of people where they they can't even imagine selling right now. And so it's like, well, if you don't want to, then you know, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't. But don't feel bad is what we're trying to say. Don't feel bad if you're like, if you're not wanting to sell right now and everyone's telling you to sell, it's it's okay.
1: You'll you'll mm-hmm. be fine. Of course. And and you know, on the subject when we're talking about cash in the business. You know, at at the end of the day, too, when you are going to sell, it's something you don't want to just keep hordes of money in the business. There should be a certain amount. And how your business is structured each year was this is a big concern that practice owners, even business owners, period, have is you know, all the profits that are sitting in my my account in the business, you know, I'm going to be taxed on that if I if I take it out of my account, if I move it to my personal checking or put it somewhere else. Uh, but when you're an S-Corp or you're an LLC being taxed as an S-Corp or however it's structured with your accounting professional, the, the craziest part about it is that you're already taxed on it. Every single year, you'll see that the profits of the business get transferred over to your personal tax return. So if you leave the money in there or not, it's, it's still been taxed. So you have freedom to actually do something with it.
0: Right. And if you find like many people hate paying that big lump sum at the end of the year. And if you don't like doing that, then maybe you should talk to your account about paying your taxes quarterly. That'll help take the edge off.
1: Yeah. A little bit, like little, a little sting. I remember the first time I wrote a, a big tax check at the end of the year. I mean, it kind of hurt. <laughs> like <laughs> <ouch. Yeah. laughs>
0: Well, that was a few years ago and the checks just keep getting bigger that you're sending. Right. So mm. what happens oh. when you, when you grow, when you, own, you know,
1: when you own a business, I mean, it's one of those things like, cause you keep generating yep. more and more profits, so make
0: make big boy money. Got to pay big boy taxes, right? Or big it. girl tax, big girl money, big girl taxes.
1: Mm-hmm. So, oh, and if you find your practice doesn't have much cash, there are a few things that you know that could be happening inside, uh, and you may not be as profitable as you could be. And this really is boiling down to, uh, you know, depending on the type of services you're offering or the cost of certain goods that are uh, being implemented in there. Uh, which there are, which really leads into money is going to unnecessary business expenses that you think are necessary.
0: Unnecessary business expenses that you think are, are necessary. That's, 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 that's kind of funny. Cause I feel like that's like our personal lives too, but um, <laughs> anyway, you know, and that's, that's huge. Especially like if you're making your, if your business is paying for your vacations, Right. That's not really a business expense, right? You might be paying it from the business, but you're still going to get taxed on that money because it's not considered a business expense. It's not deductible from a tax perspective.
1: And well, I'm thinking of it that this episode's getting released on Black Friday, maybe some of the money is going towards those Black Friday purchases. Hey
0: <laughs> truth is hard right now. Hopefully people can handle this. Right. You, you so using profits for personal expenses, but not having intentionality with it could could be another reason like you're you're making profits but then the cash is like you're like where's my cash well maybe it's maybe you're spending it and not really realizing it on your personal
1: lifestyle if you find yourself leaving too much money in your practice you know there's a simple structure that you can set up to maximize your ability to save from the practice uh, we actually have a, a very helpful video where you can click the link in the description and fast forward to 14 minutes and 17 seconds to figure out how to create that structure for yourself That's good. That's really good. So, and if you're
0: finding that your practice is accumulating cash, Tom, let's go through some of the things that you can do with that cash. Cause a lot of people are like, well, yeah, I do have a couple hundred thousand dollars sitting in my business. What
1: do I do with it? Mm -hmm. Well, going back to what we talked about, protect, grow and build your personal, let's, let's talk about protect first. And this could be where you can look at your family and for yourself personally. Um, in the event something happens to you in the business, like what's going to happen for your family? What's going to happen to the overall continuation of the business? Uh, maybe you have a loss of an employee or employees. Uh, well, they I could, mean, uh, yeah, that would be huge, right? If an employee le- le- like leaves, right? Yeah, they could leave or they become sick or injured or something else happened. Like what's being used. You could be using some of those profits to kind of get rid of some of that risk out of your business.
0: Maybe even through a retention program of sorts. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Right. Lawsuits, lawsuits are big. Yeah. Uh, Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe there's some insurances that you, whenever you started your practice, you got the bare minimum. And now your practice is really cooking. Maybe, maybe you need to look at taking some of those profits and, and directing it to protect your business from lawsuits. Cause now, now the the business is worth a whole lot more than when you started.
1: Mm Mm-hmm the loss of use I mean that's a big one imagine if your practice is not able to work you're not able to do your business tomorrow fire flood yeah all that stuff
0: it, it, I, you, you and I aren't licensed to do those kinds of insurances but we do know people that, that can that look at business interruption insurance and things like that which I think has always been really helpful especially in Florida if you' if you've got a business that uh, gets affected by a hurricane all those kinds of things maybe maybe you can pr- protect against the loss of profits. If you can't work in the business as an owner.
1: Let's say that you're the one that's working in the business right now, every day, helping generate those profits and you can't work and you need to hire another veterinarian to fill your spot. Yeah. They could potentially drive down the amount of profits you're able to receive and take from the business. So there are ways to be able to transfer that risk as well. So, so Tom, let's talk about the one that no one ever thinks of Mm. the, the, the
0: one that always, that, that they always address with a, a professional, like an attorney or a CPA, but it never actually gets addressed. They just talk about it. And that is buy-sell agreements, buy-sell mm-hmm. language. If you've got a business partner or if you're a sole, sole practitioner and you there's actually something called a unilateral buy-sell, May, Maybe maybe you're somebody that should use one of those. Maybe you could use a little bit of your money to... To not just make sure that your buy-sell language in your operating operating agreement, or, or maybe that you should have a unilateral buy-sell setup, maybe you should use some of that money to do that and then fund it with ways to protect the business in the event that something
1: does happen. Yeah. These are all really impactful things you can do with profits just to even protect the business. And some of it's insurance related, some of it's not. Uh, but the other category we jump into is like growing your practice or also known as, or AKA reinvest the cash. So- which
0: which I, th- I think we can caution people here on this one because a lot of people think that they're reinvesting cash and they're getting a return on that cash. Mm-hmm. Now, when, when you go to Google, like let's, if we pulled up Google and we typed in AAPL, we know Google will give us the exact price per share. But there is nothing on Google where I can type in ABC Vet Hospital and Google will say, hey, the practice is worth X amount of dollars per share like there's nothing like that right so there's so when you when you're reinvesting cash in the business having something that's measurable on the rate of return of you're getting on that cash that you're reinvesting in the business is mission critical because many people in, reinvest cash into a business and the return is negative and they don't even realize it because they're not measuring the exact rate of return of all the cash that they're spending
1: absolutely and the, but, the first one that we can t- always take a look at as well. If you're trying to grow your practice, could be expanding the building or changing the overall structure of it. Like we have a client of ours recently that turned another room into an exam room because it was able to help generate a little bit more profitability for the business. So that actually helped grow the value of the practice. Uh, her, added- her meetings
0: are really interesting because whenever we meet with her, because we're online, she zooms with us and shares her video. And she literally looks like she's in a closet. And I was like, where are you? And she goes, well, this is my office. I'm like, well, it looks really small. And she goes, well, it's actually a closet because I turned my office into an exam room because we're expanding. (laughs) And it was like the perfect thing. I was like, there's no windows. I would get depressed, but she's like, I don't know. In a way she kind of said it was like her sanctuary. She's like, well, you know, I can, I can come in here and people don't know I'm in here (laughs) and I can get work done. I can be a business owner and not just a veterinarian in here. Right. So speaking on her too, I mean, it's, this could be her relocating eventually to another spot or or maybe adding another location. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, it's not hard to get funding nowadays.
1: Banks love you. We just got to be smart with funding because there are some times you can take funding and put it towards things like what CJ was talking about. Are Mm -hmm. you getting a return? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or is it, yeah. Is
0: it, is it negative new products and services? Right? Maybe you can reuse cash in the business to grow the practice and offer new new services that might increase your pro- profit margins. You don't want to you don't want to add services that will decrease your profit margins. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. um, obviously there are some exceptions to every rule, but you know, adding products, implementing reward programs that can oftentimes push the right employees
1: towards the right actions to generate more profits. Absolutely, generate more revenue can use some of the profits to also hire more veterinarians or more staff. So if you are looking to grow and expand, uh, especially it's very competitive today with the sign-on bonuses and things that are happening right now, maybe some of that money would be used for that. So let's shift to uh, building personal wealth, things that you can do to build
0: personal wealth. Cause I know that a lot of people, they get, they build cash in the business and they're oftentimes scared to move it to their personal balance sheet. Cause well, if they move it to their personal balance sheet, it's just going to sit there,
1: right? They like, they don't know what to do with it. So they don't move it, they just leave it in their business. And the question to ask here, though, too, is are you relying on your business one day to be your personal wealth or are you actually utilizing your practice to build your personal wealth? I mean, that's, that's pretty heavy too, right? Like, cause if you're, if
0: you're depending on the sale of your business to be what gets you to retirement, this is one of the reasons why so many vets don't retire on time because they just always assume that they're, they'll be able to sell their business for this lump sum of money. Mm-hmm. And then they'll be able to use those proceeds to, to generate the income that they're enjoying right now. And that's not the case they, typically they're not able to sell their business and have enough to have the same lifestyle through retirement, which is one of the reasons why they keep it on, they hold onto it for as long as they possibly can. Absolutely. So, you know, and obviously building, before you can move money away from the business to build personal wealth though, you gotta determine the amount of money that should be left in the practice.
1: Yeah, so when looking at how much money you should have left in the practice, because sometimes it is like a feeling, it is one of those things like, I feel I need to have this much money in there. However, going back to when we talked about risk earlier, ideally, you should be keeping between one to maybe three months of operating expenses available in cash. And that's for like those times that you have seasonal changes or your business wasn't doing as well. Maybe you went down a veterinarian. If you have multiple veterinarians, it's just extra money that's sitting there. But like, you know, keep in mind, if you are having expansion opportunities or you're looking to do things like one of our other clients wanted to uh, build out another building that she had next to us or, or our other practice and she needed more cash. So when, we, when she looked at it, it was being used from that grow your practice aspect of things, but realistically on an ongoing basis, you know, one to three months, usually on the lower end can be sufficient enough uh, to keep inside the practice.
0: And you're saying that just because the consistent, since revenue is pretty consistent, yes. then you're usually going to have enough coming in. And, and so Tom, you know, we, we also talk a lot about how if they determine the amount of money that they want to have left in the business, and they take the additional and they move it to their personal balance sheet. What stops them from moving it back? Nothing. Like let's like it right. So like let like oh, I moved too much money over to my personal accounts. Can't you just transfer it back to your business? You can. Right. So and you know like that should take the edge off for a lot
1: of people listening. <laughs> like, unless like unless you're a C corporation which can create a whole bunch of different other variables in here. But when you're an S Corp, an LLC, sole proprietor, those different types of things, I mean, you can easily shift money back and forth.
0: Yeah. You want to be careful. You don't want to do it too often. You want to, right. you, you know, you don't like, it shouldn't be something you do every Tuesday, yes. but like, you know, it, it's just knowing that, it, you know, worse comes to worse. You should be. Able to. So you keep, you keep a certain amount of money for operating uh, and, and time, time, the time miss. Mis- places with expenses and revenues, right? You keep a certain amount of cash for that. Keep a certain amount of cash in the business for anything that you're going to use to grow the business. Maybe it be a build out. Maybe it be to hire more people, whatever. And then you systematically transfer. You want to look at systematically transferring profits each month to investments and assets that are to put to work for you and building your wealth outside the business. Mm-hmm. Because the more wealth you have outside the business the less reliance you have on the sale of the business whenever you do actually go to exit.
1: And this number that you pick that you systematically transfer, it could be more on the conservative side of things if you want, right. because if it's something new, it can be adjusted, it can be tweaked. And we always suggest another thing you can do is every quarter, take a look at you know how did your business do, how much cash do you have in the business. Uh, we like to use the term dead cash. It's money that's really has no purpose to it. So like, what are we doing with it? And that could potentially be transferred over onto your personal balance sheet. Yeah. And and
0: looking at your P&L, your profit and loss statement, if you're not really sure how to read those, then you should maybe get with your accountant. I know Tom and I spend a significant amount of time just educating clients on on how their p and like what their P&L is, how it works, um, making sure that they, they have somebody from a bookkeeping perspective or from an accounting perspective that, that that P&L that they're getting every quarter is accurate enough. Because, you know, if you're going to prepay your taxes every quarter, that's another thing you've got. Like, where do you sit as far as profits, right? In order to get ahead of it, if you want to get ahead of it, obviously. Some people just pay their taxes all at the end of the year, and that's okay. That's what you like to do. That's what you like to do. There may be penalties that are involved, but, you know, nothing stops you from being able to do that. Um,
1: and I was thinking as we're sitting here too, if, if you're wondering what a P&L statement is, your, your profit loss statement. Uh, if you don't have one, you should probably start talking to your accountant to make sure that they're creating those for you.
0: So sometimes people think of a profit and loss statement as their balance sheet. Your balance sheet is a snapshot in time. It's like what you own in the business and what you owe in the business. Whereas a uh, an actual income statement should show your profit and loss. Like there's revenues minus expenses equals your income. Mm-hmm. So, you know, recognizing that sometimes whenever people use that term P- P&L, I've heard, I've heard people call it a P&L and then they send me a balance sheet and I'm like, "Uh, eh,
1: yeah,
0: kind of, but like it's the balance sheet and the cash flow statement together. It's it's in, in, and when I say cash flow statement, it's really the income statement unless you're in a, a C corp or if you get into the real deep because like my my background's in financial statement analysis. So, you know, you get into real deep stuff on the accounting side, those two things can be different, but really when they talk about a P&L,
1: it's an income statement and a balance sheet. Well, and by even us telling you or even talking about you could potentially use your profits to build the systematic savings or taking quarterly transfers from the business, really what we want to focus on is reducing the reliance of on, on the practice when you go to sell it at some in the future that you can be able to continue a very similar lifestyle when you get out of your business. So you're relying less on that sale and you can give you more flexibility on how you want to leave. if you find yourself asking the question, but how Tom and CJ, like, I kind
0: of know what you're talking about, but I'm not exactly sure how to do this. So I'm really honestly, me me personally, this is CJ speaking, I'm really at a loss as to exactly how to help you without creating a 20 part series of our podcast on how to do this, because the nuances are very different depending on who you are and what your goals are. And honestly, I hate saying this, but I think that your next step is maybe to reach out to us through our website and see if we can help you in some way. Um, now, I'll be honest; I don't like selling anything to anyone. I, I'm very uh, weary of salespeople, and I don't. I, I just, I just want you to know this is coming from a place of me being transparent. You know, we just want to help you in any way we can, and maybe we will pull together some sort of podcast series that will take 20 weeks and a whole year to release, but. Um, you know, I, th- I think that there are just a lot of different nuances in how you want to do and how you approach this particular thing. We tried to give you general steps on what you can do from, an, you know, first step, second step, third step of, of what to do with your cash. But if you still feel like you're a little lost, then please feel free to reach out to us. And just because just like you want to help animals, we want to help you. And sometimes the only way we, that you can help an animal is to see them as a patient. So if you're finding lost in any way, please, you know, contact us.
1: It makes, it makes me think a lot about it, the times of the times when I reach out to people, uh, other veterinarians and saying, Hey, my dog is doing this. And they're like, I can't give you a diagnosis without actually staying home. it's, it's a very similar thing in our world. And, you know, we want to let you know that we're, we're here to support the veterinary community. That's what we're here to do and what we want to accomplish every day.
0: So and some things we can answer via email, like, yeah, you know, if you send us a message and you have a question and we're like, Hey, that's an easy question to answer. We'll just shoot you back an, an answer. Um, absolutely. You know, we'll, we'll, and we'll try to get to you within a timely fashion. It kind of just depends on the volume of stuff that we're experiencing at the time. But, um, but, you know, don't, don't be shy, reach out to us.
1: It helps spread the word about the podcast by going to our Facebook page, smarter vet podcast. like us, write us a comment. Uh, if you can take a snapshot of this episode and post it on your social media, your favorite social media platform and a uh, hashtag smarter vets. And, uh, you know, we'd love to just give us some love and share this episode with some other people that you care about. This is CJ Burnett. And I'm Tom Sico. Wishing you a lifetime of financial success. Don't forget to visit our website and sign up for our newsletter. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know about upcoming race-approved CE webinars, podcast releases, short presentations, and articles that we publish. Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on LinkedIn, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. only guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Florida Veterinary Advisors, and opinions stated are their own.
0: Submission number
1: 2023-163046 expires October 2025.